Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. In today's show, we're interviewing Brian Robbins, a 27-year chiropractor, author, real estate investor, owner of multiple companies, and the father of 10 children. Talk about a fascinating person. Today, we're going to talk about his journey and lessons along the way and catch his way of thinking, his mental model for how you can live your best life. Now, here at The Money Advantage, we're a community of wealth creators, and we're focused on this entrepreneurial journey. We're entrepreneurially minded business owners who are taking control of our lives and our financial destiny. Now, we know it's not enough just to make a great income. You have to figure out how to keep more, then protect that money, and finally increase and make more through the right investing decisions. Now, that's why we've put together a three-step model to help business owners create time and money freedom. Today's conversation is going to help you take an honest look at your mindset and add better thinking patterns or delete old ones that aren't helping you build the life you love today. So here's a little bit more about Dr. Brian Robbins. Before entering the multifamily investment arena, Dr. Robbins owned a number of companies, including multiple medical practices, a coffee shop, a 1,500-member gym, and a number of real estate investments. These real estate investments included a small apartment complex, a 32,000-square-foot retail shopping center, which houses his medical practice, and a number of single-family properties. Dr. Brian Robbins is also the author of Done, The Professional's Guide to Double-Digit Returns, Multi-Generational Wealth, and a Worry-Free Retirement. Dr. Robbins is now fully committed to helping others reach their financial goals using the Wellings Capital Multifamily Wealth Generation Platform. He and his wife, Anita, live on a farm in central Virginia where they have raised 10 children, including eight that were adopted. Let's dive right in. Hi, and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. I'm Rachel Marshall, along with my co-host, Bruce Weiner. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning, Rachel. Uh, Having Dr. Robbins this morning is uh, one of the things, his observation is one of the things that I've always observed is that doctors are are great at taking care of their patients, but they're not always great at taking care of money. I I have a really good friend, a really good friend who's an anesthesiologist. And he is a partner in a private practice. And I said to him one day, I said, so when you're in medical school, how much time did they spend on um, you developing your business model? And he looked at me like I had four heads. He goes, <laughs> they never talk about this stuff. So this, this is nice that we have uh, an, an expert in, in uh, both areas today. Absolutely. And so thank you for that introduction. And so today we have a special guest, Dr. Brian Robbins with us. Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Awesome. Well, we are really excited to dig into your accomplishments and everything from scaling and leveraging businesses to investing in real estate and kind of moving from uh, just working for money to having money work for you and have that passive income and really what that means to build a self-sustaining business and live a life that you love in the process. So before we dig into a lot of your professional accomplishments, can you talk about your backstory? Who were you before you kind of had this entrepreneurial um, flash of genius, if you will? Sure, sure. Um, So I'm a chiropractor by trade. um, And I always, uh, when when I graduated from 
uh, medical school, I always wanted to have a multidiscipline practice. And I think I was an entrepreneur as far back as I can remember. I can remember my, my mom would get mad because I would go out on my bike and I would jump into dumpsters and dig around looking for aluminum cans to throw into a big bag <laughs> because I could recycle those and make, you know, four bucks. So, um, as f- I, I sold postcards from door to door, I, I, I just did a little bit of everything as a kid, just trying to make a little bit of money here and there. And so, um, I do know that I was kind of born as an entrepreneur, but, um, after medical school, um, kind of just looking at options that were out there. Um, I, I had that in my mind the whole time and I just practiced and just did the normal, you know, type of a, of a practice for a number of years until, um, we were fortunate enough to adopt some children and, um, we adopted a sibling group of seven Russian orphans, um, about, uh, 20, 21 years ago. And this is fascinating. I know you mentioned that before the show and, and seven siblings. I mean, that's, that's gotta be a very interesting family dynamic and just a huge endeavor in itself. Well, it really was. We had two biological kids at the time and we, we started off looking just my wife, um, was unable to get pregnant past those first two children. And so we looked Mm. at different options and just really didn't want to go down the whole road of, um, you know, trying to work with clinics that specialize in, you know, in helping you conceive. And so, um, we decided that uh, we would look at adopting and, and this particular group of kids, um, came across our path. We found out that the Russian government was in the process of getting ready to separate them and send them to three different countries and probably to never see each other again. And their ages range from 14 to five at the time. And so we were fortunate enough to be able to keep them together and uh, bring them into our home. And uh, that was the catalyst that really pushed me forward on my entrepreneurial journey for sure. That's very fascinating. And I think anytime somebody becomes a parent or has children then that are looking at them, depending on them, you th- you start thinking about money and life differently and what your goals are and your ambitions and your value system and really what you're teaching them as well. So share what, how did you kind of make that move towards entrepreneurship and passive income? Sure. Um, initially it was just, can we survive this? Um, (laughs) to be honest with you, we, we, we never intended to adopt seven children, never set out to do that. And in fact, my wife, when she heard about the plight of these kids, she, she just set out to find a home for them and started talking to all our friends that were wealthy and that, you know, that had farms or had ways to, you know, support a group that large. And we actually laughed about the fact that taking that many kids into our homes, we were like, can you imagine and uh, the more she tried to sell other folks on it, the more she sold us on it. And so, you know, we just decided, you know, we have a decent income and we, we can make this work even if we have to eat beans and rice. And so um, we did that and we, yeah, we definitely ate beans and rice <laughs> initially. And so, um, you know, we started, you know, the reality after we got the kids back and all the bills started to mount, the reality of, you know, seven, you know, seven to t- nine sets of braces and college and weddings and just thinking about all that, it really, you know, kind of sparked that desire to try to create some passive income. You know, I only had so many hours in a day. I could only treat so many patients, but I needed to do something besides just, you know, the, the labor I personally performed. And so, um, you probably heard the term wage slave and that's what I was. I could only work so many hours. And so that's what planted the seeds for us to start looking at some other other opportunities that were out there. You know, I love that you mentioned that because I know that no matter how high of an income per hour you earn, if you are 
only earning dollars based on the hours of, of labor that you perform, there's always a ceiling. And so for somebody who wants to break out of that, the answer is not just in earning a higher income per hour, but really fig- figuring out a way to get those assets that are working for them. So what was your first step then as you're this chiropractor, you're now a dad of nine. Um, how did you make that? What was the first shift that you had from from the chiropractic being a solopreneur towards passive income? Yeah. Um, so I started looking around at different opportunities. Just what could I do? What else could I do to, to earn passive income? And so I had some friends that had um, multiple clinics that they had developed. And so we decided to do that. And so we, um, we started to work on some other clinics and, and some of them went very well and some of them eh, average, um, you know, they all told me, Oh, it's easy. You'll, you know, you'll be able to do this and you can maybe move out of patient care and just be a manager. And, um, the one thing I found out with these multiple clinics and at one point we had, you know, four or five, um, was that it was anything but passive. Um, it was, it was a headache, uh, for sure. Um, you know, now I became, um, the back office guy that had to do, you know, HR all day long. And so, um, that be, living in a rural area, it's difficult to find, you know, medical staffing. And so that was an issue. And, um, it was just, it w- I went from working, you know, 45, 50 hours a week to working like 90. And so oh. with having that many kids, that wasn't the lifestyle that we envisioned for our kids. And so we eventually just sold those off and, and stepped away from that. We, we also, um, because we were doing rehab in our clinics, um, a lot of the patients really enjoyed the fact that they were feeling better and they, they really didn't necessarily want to go into a gym setting. And so we, we allowed, um, some of our rehab patients to start working out in our, our rehab facility, you know, for a few dollars a month. And then that went from, you know, 15 or 20 to then it was, you know, a hundred. And then we just outgrew that. So we, we started a, a gym, which actually ended up being, uh, Danville Athletic Club, which I, I guess we crested at about fifteen hundred members, wow. and so I thought, uh, you know, I thought, well, you know, all these guys that I know that own gyms, they're all big guys, and they're all, you know, they were always smiling and just having a good time. And um, what I fa- what I actually found is that, you know, if you don't work out in the gym, you don't get big. Mm-hmm. That's number one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> number two, you can't work out there anymore because every time you go to work out everybody wants to talk to you. Everyone, it's like being a politician. Everybody's paying their $35 a month and they want a piece of you. And so, um, that really quickly I found out, um, was not passive income. Um, even though it was, you know, it was successful and we were able to sell it, um, eventually, um, you know, at one point I had over 50 employees cause we had a, a small deli inside the gym, um, that was freestanding. And then we had the medical clinic and we had the gym and we had all that. And so, um, yeah, that was, that was certainly not passive income. Interesting. Well, it's it's fascinating to me. I've I've just recently come across an article that talked about the difference between setting a goal and having this end goal in mind, and you know exactly the steps that it takes to get there, and it's strategic and very um, step by step and orderly. But the funny thing is, and the fascinating thing that usually the path to success is anything but orderly and linear. And agreed. How I'm hearing that you kind of came across this. It wasn't necessarily that you said, Hey, I'm going to start a gym now instead of a chiropractic clinic. You kind of fell into it, learned a huge lesson with that about it not being passive. Um, and, and had a lot, a lot of learning that you were then able to take into whatever next endeavor. So how did you go from that realization? Hey, I've got 50 employees. We've got 150 or 1500 
um, people working out here, members of the, of the fitness center. Where did you go from that to the next thing? What was your next aha moment? To the next thing. Yeah. Um, I think it was, it was right after the crash um, of the, the stock market. And I was, I actually came into a treatment room and I was, I, I came across and this, this, I don't want to say young man cause he wasn't young, but, um, physically seemed to be a young guy. He'd, he'd been working in the local, we have one of the largest Goodyear plants in the country in our town. Okay. And he had been there for 30 years and he was sitting on the table and he was weeping. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, he must be in a lot of pain today. And then I quickly realized that he wasn't upset about his back pain. He was upset about what had just happened to his retirement. He had mm-hmm. just previously invested it pretty much everything he had in the stock market because he had rolled over from company stock into, you know, managing it himself. And he'd put it all in the stock market and the the market had just crashed 40 or 50% or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. Um, And I sat there and there was nothing I could do to console him. Um, I didn't have words. I didn't, you know, normally if it's back problems, if it's, you know, neck problems, whatever. I mean, we're trained to, to handle those types of things, but um, it was just kind of a defining moment because it really caught my attention and um, I felt I felt terrible for him um, and I didn't have an answer. And that was kind of the, the, the next moment that I can look back on that made me, made me decide I don't want to be that guy. Um, and so between the, the search for passive income and then that, I think all of those things kind of combined together and that's what pushed me towards real estate. So the, one of the things that um, I, can, I can hear our listeners thinking sometimes they're saying, well, that's, that's great, Brian, but where did you get the money to start these businesses and how did you raise the capital and those kind of things? Yeah. Um, so initially it was all just funded out of our, our business. Um, and, um, that was how we started off was just, you know, on a small scale. And then, you know, we, we built something small, worked it hard, did a lot of the labor, Never, never quit my primary occupation, but was working. I, you know, today the the uh, I think the kids call it a side hustle. Um, <laughs> back in the day, that w- we just called it work. But um, you know, we were doing something besides our primary thing. And I think I kind of, um, you know, you can have lots of hobbies, and a lot of times hobbies cost you money. I wanted to have a hobby that produced income. Nice. Um, I, I didn't really have a choice um, with having that many kids. And so I just worked these other businesses and um, slowly but surely we built each one built a little bit on itself. Um, and, you know, we'd sell one and have some cash and roll that over. And so that's what got us to the point where we were able to, you know, to, we have bought a, a strip center, a retail uh, strip center that was, we're able to, to lease out to companies and we have our office there. And so um, it's a 32,000 square foot strip center. And that was kind of the next, we did a couple small houses and, you know, did some, some rehab and, you know, turn those. And that's, you know, kind of the, uh, the dream of a lot of folks to do those. And that was back before it was popular on TV, but we, we moved into the commercial space and we did that. And um, unfortunately our town is a little bit economically depressed. And so, that wasn't quite the smashing success that we had hoped it would be. Um, but those, all, each one of those things kind of laid the groundwork for us to start thinking about um, and then eventually turning our attention towards uh, multifamily property. So when we, look, when we try to counsel people or give them inspiration, uh, we, we talk about having control of your money. And that, that's, that takes a lot of different um, forms of control. And then we talk about cash flow. People that think they want to be an entrepreneur often are just business owners. 
Um, but also, also, people are searching for that passion in life. And they are searching for this passive income. I, I, I'm, I'm so glad you said that passive income is not necessarily passive. People do not realize the amount of work it takes to, to get some kind of cash flowing entity going. And thus you work really hard on the front end, thus that you don't have to work necessarily as much on the back end because you put processes and procedures in place. But it's to me, it's not right. really passive. So we have people that listen to the show and they're trying to figure out if they do want to follow a passion and become a business owner and ultimately an entrepreneur. But like the weeping gentleman on your table, he could have, he, if he would have known, he could have changed his 401k into a guaranteed cash flowing entity in a variety of ways. One, he could have, he could have uh, put it into an annuity or at least some of it into an annuity. One, he could have used cash valued life insurance. Two, he could have invested into REITs or oil and gas programs where they actually are outside of the, of the stock market. But a lot of people don't right. know about this. And one of the things we wanted to talk to you today about is uh, real estate investing. And so what would you say to somebody that was really getting it, wanted to get into either, like you mentioned, uh, flipping or uh, purchasing properties to have um, a, a cash flow from rents and, and such? Sure. So I would, I would, Two, two, there's lots, first of all, there's lots of resources out there. Um, and um, we we initially um, got involved with a, a mentorship program, and there's a lot of different ones out there. Um, we used a group out of Richmond, Virginia, 37th Parallel. Um, and um, we, we got a lot of our training through them. It was almost like getting a master's degree in um, – multifamily properties. But I would say that the easiest way is um, there's a website called Bigger Pockets, And Bigger Pockets mm -hmm. is a phenomenal collection. They have over a million subscribers. And it's a phenomenal collection of, of people doing just about anything you can think of in real estate. In fact, it is anything you can think of. Um, and they have people that have done it before. They have people that are willing to share their ideas, their experiences, their guidance. Um, so I think that's a great resource is bigger pockets, um, getting, hiring a mentor. I'd be careful about some of the, some of the mentorship programs, you know, you pay for a weekend course and they, you know, they, they say they're going to do all these things for you. And a lot of times those weekend courses end up being just a lead in, you know, it's a, uh, it's a three day, mm -hmm. um, commercial right. for their bigger course. And so I would be careful about those. Um, but finding a, a, a true mentorship relationship makes sense. Um, also lots of books out there. I wrote a book. Um, the title of my book is done the professional's guide to double digit returns, multi-generate multi-generational wealth and a worry-free retirement. And I wrote that primarily for professionals that are, you know, highly paid, but, you know, kind of like we talked about earlier, they're wage slaves and they're, they're hoping to be able to, to guide their, retirement process outside of maybe the stock market. And, um, I tell my story, but then I also spend a ton of time talking about multifamily investing and, and different ways to do it so that it, it truly is passive. So there, there's a number of ways that you can go about educating yourself before you, you take the leap off the, 
off the dock. Um, you definitely want to make sure that you don't just quit your job one day and say, I'm going to start this. Um, you want to make sure that the boat is there to step onto and that, you know, you've created some income in addition to your, to your regular job, because that's, I think one of the bigger mistakes I see people make is they think that it's going to be easy and that, that, that passive income is going to come right away and they jump too quickly from their, from their regular income source. Very valuable. Uh, we talk, I'm actually Absolutely. in a uh, co-working space which is like a group genius space and people come to us all the time and ask, you know, uh, how, how can I build this business? And I want to get it going right away. And I know it's my passion and I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to put all my energies in it. And we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, let's, uh, let's think about this first. Is there a way we can, we can step yeah. into this gradually? Um, and hopefully we have an impact, but, I'm afraid all too many times people get this message from the internet on social media that, hey, just follow your passion and everything's going to be okay. Well, pa passion, passion carries you through <laughs> if you have set your, the, the procedures up properly and you're well capitalized. If you're not, um, it, it takes a very special person to push through the economic hardships you're going to see early on. Yeah, there's a lot of broke, passionate people out there. I agree. I agree. So what does your life look like now that you've built this real estate portfolio beneath you? And I believe you're still working in the chiropractic space. Talk about where you're going next, kind of where where your goals are. And then where are you continuing to, to grow and leverage from where you are now? Sure. Um, our company, which... Um, the name of the company is Wellings Capital. Um, we we just have in the past couple of years we've done um, multifamily properties and we've done um, self storage, and so we've we we did syndication type uh, projects within that company. Um, I am still a practicing chiropractor because I I really don't feel comfortable enough getting out of the boat yet um, that I that I can give that up. I mean it won't be that long in the future, but we will. Um, and I'm in the process of just developing actually a, another company and working towards another book eventually here. But uh, the the market in multifamily has gotten really, really tight. There's um, 1030 money, 1031 money chasing deals. There's foreign money chasing deals, institutional money, REITs. Uh, there's a lot of competition. And so um, we've recently began looking at the self-storage industry and about 65 to 75% of self-storage is still owned by mom and pop operators. And so I, I think there's, it's a less consolidated industry. And so I'm in the process of slowly but surely beginning to shift that direction um, and look at that, at least in, in the market cycle where we're at now, plan on doing syndication type deals for the foreseeable future as I move away from medicine eventually, but, um, at least for the short run, um, a little bit concerned about where we're at in the market cycle and, and not making any big steps right now with the possibility of a downturn coming. So I guess that's kind of where I'm at right this minute. Gotcha. So if you had to kind of look back on your process and journey up until this point, there's kind of two questions that I want to ask you. One is if you could look back at that, that Brian that started the chiropractic practice, I think it was 27, 28 years ago for you, what would you tell him to do differently? And I guess maybe this fits hand in hand, but what lessons did you learn that you would do differently? Had you to do it all over? Again? Sure. 
Um, so first of all, I would say, um, I, I had this mindset that when I became a, a doctor that I was just going to put my nose to the grindstone. I was going to take care of patients and the retirement stuff would work itself out eventually. And that's not the case. Um, I, I really would have paid much closer attention right away. Um, and I would have really been very proactive in that regard, working towards alternative investment fields outside of personally. I, I just, I'm not a high risk guy. I don't like the stock market as much. I like assets that you can drive to, that you can touch, that you can feel, you can see, you know, if the, if the market were to take a downturn today, our apartments would still be there. Uh, people would still need to live, mm-hmm. you know, they might not be worth quite the same value, but they won't, they won't take the hit that a piece of paper that just says, you know, a stock certificate. Um, so, so number one, I would pay attention much sooner in my career. Number two, um, when I, when I bought my strip center, um, I relied very heavily on the advice of a professional. Um, I had a CPA that, um, I thought I was very good friends with, and turns out he was better friends with the person that was selling the building. And I got advice Mm. that, um, was, uh, looking back now, he was, it was very self-serving to his other client and to himself. And so I would say that before you make any big steps or any big jumps that number one, that you don't depend on the advice of a quote unquote professional that you, that you learn enough about that as asset class that you can make a wise decision for yourself. There is nobody out there that's going to take as good a care of you and of your finances and of your family than you are. I mean, nobody. Mm-hmm. And even if they are a trusted right. friend, I would never recommend, um, you know, I, I have friends and I'm around physicians all the time and, and they make, they tend to make bad investment decisions many times because they don't take the time to learn, um, enough about what they're getting ready to invest in. In fact, in my book, I quote a study that was done and it was by one of the big investment firms that were kind of touting the fact that physicians and attorneys and busy professionals were e- easy targets. Um, and so mm-hmm. I think it's really critically important that we all take the time to become, you know, a pretty, pretty, pretty good professional and a pretty good expert in the asset class we're going to go into. So at least you have the ability to evaluate the deal on its own, on its own merits without somebody else's input. I, I recommend getting other people's input, but I wouldn't just take one or two. I would get four five, six. And then I would, I would have enough background information in that asset class to make the decision myself. And of course, always, if you're going to passively invest with a syndicator or sponsor, you want to make sure you do your due diligence on them as well and make sure that you're comfortable with them and that they've got a, you know, they've got a track record and that you, you can go and visit some of their other stuff and, and get the right kind of, uh, right kind of references for sure. I love that you said that. And one of the things that we really talk about on a regular basis is that it's not just about a strategy. It's about the principles behind the strategy. And most people don't even want to start with a strategy. They just want to say, what product? What's the investment? What's the best investment I should put my money into? What should I do with this money? What product should I get right now? And really before that, you have to look at what are the strategies you want to employ? Why do you want this money here? What are you trying to accomplish? And before even that, we want to look at the principle. And investing, there's something that's really important to us that we talk about investing according to your investor identity, which means there might be the greatest, best investment that's returning a great return for somebody, but that doesn't mean it's the right investment for for you. And it really comes down to your education, your passion, your ability to know and control that investment. And that's really what I'm hearing you say as well. It's not just about trusting someone else, 
hoping that they know what they're doing and closing your eyes and being led by them, but really taking that ownership. And that's really what I heard behind what yeah, you we're, said. We're just a little side note, little rabbit trail. Um, we're very passionate about uh, orphans, obviously. I mean, we adopted a bunch of kids. Mm -hmm. And so when we were looking at um, different passive income sources out there, we wanted something to be involved in something that would allow us down the road to be able to, we hope to start our own orphan orphanage. We hope to, in fact, we hope to nice. start multiple orphanages. And so we had to have something that the return on investment would be, would be, you know, significant. And so that was kind of our guiding principle, because if you're just, if it's just money that's guiding you, eh, okay, yeah, you got to provide for your family. But, um, to develop a real passion, I think that's, that's really important. And so, um, you know, dollars and cents are one thing, but you know, whether, whether it is taking care of your family or it is, you know, some, some type of philanthropy, um, those are the things that really drive you and make you work those extra hours and put in the extra sweat to, to really go someplace. And so the, knowing what we wanted to do in the long run certainly informed the choices that we've made now, as far as our asset classes, we've gotten involved with for sure. That's absolutely very in alignment with everything that we talk about as well. And really, it can't just be about the money. And even coming back to um, earlier, you were talking about how you were serving um, the clients who were uh, in rehab and they needed a place to work out that wasn't the regular gym and you were providing value. And that's really what it comes down to for any investment, that it has to be providing value. It's not just, as Bruce was talking about, it's not just my passion. What am I passionate about? It's what does the value, what value is the market? place looking for and how can I serve exactly. the market with that value with my skill set. So it's just really nice to hear you plugging in all of those attributes together where maybe these were the right investments for you because you did you did the due diligence, you did the research, you did the learning and went up that learning curve and said, okay, this is how I'm going to be able to deploy my capital in a way that works for me and serves other people. Yep, I agree. Brian, one of the things that, uh, this is probably a pretty good transition to this, your book, Done, The Professional Guide to Multi-Generational Wealth, Double-Digit Returns in a Worry-Free Retirement. One of the things that stuck, uh, jumped out to me was the multi-generational wealth, because that's one of the things that our firm, we're kind of passionate about, is we, we have noticed over the years that families don't talk to family members about money. And whenever I see somebody talking about multi-generational wealth, it, the only way that can occur is if there is conversations about what the purpose of that money is, why you built it up, what you're trying to accomplish, but then also pass, pass along to the next generation how to take care of that money and, and not only just to bury it in the ground and, and protect it, but actually to continue to grow that wealth from generation to generation. So just comment a little bit about the title of the book and what you were trying to accomplish. Sure. Um, you know, with, with multifamily properties, part of, the, part of the, I guess, attractiveness is the way the tax code treats them. And the tax code allows you to... Um, to number one, uh, do what's called a, a accelerated depreciation schedule, which allows you to, to write off a lot of the costs so that you don't have to pay a lot of taxes. And if you, if you do a, 
accelerated depletion schedule, in about seven to eight years, you can burn off most of your incentives. And so with many of these investments, you won't have any tax gain or very little tax taxes to have to pay in those first seven or eight years. And if, if you then um, turn that property at that point and sell it, you the tax code also allows for something called a 1031 exchange. And so you can take that property, mm-hmm. you can take the um, money that was produced from that property and buy another property. And then the clock starts over as far as the, the taxes are concerned, as far as uh, depreciation on the new property. And so theoretically, if you, if you take your properties and you just, whether you start off in you know a, a duplex or a single family home and you just keep doing it, you, you grow larger and larger and theoretically you'll never have any, any taxes to pay until you die. Um, and then the great thing is kids, um, can have a, have a basis that's stepped up and so that they don't have to, you know, they start at a whole new level. And so you're able to pass, you know, this wealth on without having to, you know, pay the significant amounts of, um, taxes that maybe you might have to in other types of of um, asset classes. And so that's one of the great things of, you know, the, the government basically wants us to, um, you know, they put tax incentives where they want investors to invest. And so that's, you know, they want these mm-hmm. properties to be improved, to make it a better place to live, to take care of the, the tenants that are there, and then to be able to pass that on and do that again. And so that's, that's really what the tax code is, is encouraging here. So that's primarily in my book, that's how, that's what I cover. So just to, just real quickly to, to do a definition of a basis for our for our listeners. So if if Brian would buy a property that's a hundred thousand dollars and then he would depreciate it over accelerated appreciation over seven or eight years, and then he would sell it to his uh, to to his uh, children. And uh, it went up to 120,000. Their basis would then start at 120,000 instead of a, at 100,000. That's yeah, uh, absolutely. We, yeah, we are not tax professionals, as we yep. always remind people, but we do have a, a decent sense of what it is because we employ tax professionals all the time. So that's what it, that's what it means a step up in basis, and it, and it actually works in any kind of property, uh, personal property. It also works in uh, in the stocks. Uh, world also. So uh, it's called a step up in basis as you, as you pass that along to the next generation. That's right. And Bruce, do you want to also, or, or um, Brian, either one can comment a little bit more on this as well. So the 1031 exchange, um, how that's a tax play, but being able to take money from one asset into a like asset, you want to comment on that as well? I know we've brought that up in previous assets or previous podcasts, but I'd like to share about that here. Sure. Um, well, I mean, you know, you, if you have, if you have a property that's worth a hundred thousand dollars, um, and then there are specific steps you have to take, but when you sell that property for a hundred thousand dollars, as long as you invest in a property worth, you know, $1 more than the property you sold, um, you can transition that money to the next property. And you have to, there's, there's some time, um, parameters you have to, within X number of days, you have to, to, actually document the properties you're looking at. And then you have to close on those properties within an, another X number of days. Um, and if you do it in the time, the timely fashion that the IRS prescribes, um, you won't have to pay taxes on that, on that money that you receive from that property. If, if the property was $50,000 and you bought it and then it went up to a hundred thousand dollars, that's a $50,000 gain, um, that you would otherwise have to pay taxes on. And if you reinvest that money in the next 
property that's of greater value, then you, you, you can just bankroll that into the next property and you don't have to um, pay the taxes um, right then. Now, you know, eventually, if you don't continue to do that, eventually you'll have to pay taxes down the road, but it just allows you to keep more of the wealth and keep it producing income and keep growing your, you know, your asset base as you move along. So that's really important for somebody then strategically looking to the future and saying, how do I want to um, not only start in real estate, but how do I want to continue on so that I can maximize my gains and keep as much as possible, which is then really the idea of maximizing your cash flow, which we talk about on a regular basis as well, that you want to keep as much of the money you're making today, which means paying as little in taxes, interest, having as little opportunity cost as possible and making sure that you maximize the use of as many of those dollars as possible, then protect it and use those dollars to invest in things that are going to be cash flow, cash flowing assets that are going to produce that income for you as well from the assets, not just from your job. And so this is just one additional step to take you further in that direction. Exactly. And, and, you know, you can, you can purchase assets of these natures in things, you know, obviously in IRAs and, you know, Roth IRAs and for Roth 401ks and different things. And I'm not an expert in those, but, um, there are ways to do that as well to even further reduce your tax liability. So I certainly recommend talking to the professionals that know those vehicles well. So on your, uh, on your self storage, um, endeavor going forward, um, Will those be um, property managed also in, in your vision? So um, keeping with the theme of passive income, um, whether it's self-storage or it's multifamily properties, um, I really don't want to manage anything myself. Um, I want to manage the managers. Um, and so whether it's self-storage or it's multifamily properties, I'm only looking at an asset that produces enough income. It's a large enough asset to offset the cost of having a professional property manager um, who is overseeing it. And so um, for me, um, I really don't want that headache. And, you know, I want to be able to call somebody who is the professional property manager that all they do is manage properties um, and say, guys, take care of this. And so, you know, when we, when we look at a deal, we're going to syndicate or sponsor, that deal has to be large enough so that it can underwrite the cost of the professional property manager. So as you're looking at this, um, this journey, this life and business that you are building, that you're in the middle of right now and saying, how do I improve this and make this great? What would you say would be your number one key to building that life and business that you love right now in the moment, not just looking to the future at some point when you reach some target or magic number, at that point you'll enjoy life, but really bringing that into the present, what would you say is the number one key to enjoying your life and business Um, that you're creating in the process? I guess number, number one is I share everything that I do with my wife and we do a lot of this together. We really enjoy the, the entrepreneurial game as it were. And so, um, love having the vision to look at, you know, a property that needs work and, and having the vision for what it's going to look like afterwards and what it will be able to generate afterwards. So really like, it's almost like I even draw the the comparison in my book to finding a, an old car in a barn and being able to see what that car will look like when it's completely restored. Um, and so I really enjoy that. It's kind of like, you know, like solving a mystery, um, for me, putting pieces of a puzzle together. So, you know, that part is fulfilling in and of itself. Um, I don't really envision quote unquote, the, 
normal retirement. I think I would go crazy if I was sitting on the porch rocking with nothing to do. Uh-huh. So I'm going <laughs> to. Most people would actually if they would admit it, but um, yeah. I, I'm glad you've come to that realization. I, I can only play so much golf. I can only, you know, do those types of things. So I, I, I will have businesses that I will be continuing to, to, to work on. I just won't be doing the same things where I'm providing the actual labor. And so as I'm heading towards those retirement years, that's what I'm trying to set up as those businesses that I can help manage that don't take physical labor on my part, but you know, a little mental labor. I, I think it's important to have, I've seen patients that retired and just, they didn't have anything to challenge them after retirement and they really seem unfulfilled. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I know that, uh, studies have shown that the more things we do with our brain to challenge it as we, as we age, the better our brain will do. And so, um, that's, it's a, it's a combination of, of wanting to do that just to be fulfilled, but also a combination of doing things that are going to stimulate my brain and, and make me as healthy as possible so that I can have, you know, years into my seventies and eighties, it'll be, you know, successful and will be, um, productive for sure. That's excellent. And really good to hear you say that as well. And I think that's really in alignment with what we believe and really see for people as well, that it's not just about working really hard and then retiring. It's like two separate phases of life, but you have instead this one awesome life that you've been given and all of us have today. And we don't know how long in the future and we want to enjoy that in the process and then know as well that we want to be fulfilled. And you're, you have more value to contribute to the world because of the knowledge base that you've built up built up and the skill set and all the relationships that you de- you've developed through your lifetime by the time you get to those later years and so why not use that most productively to continue building success so I, I love to hear you say that yeah and you know if if the listeners are are not familiar with neuroplasticity neuroplasticity is a really recently developed term that indicates we I think that society in general used to think that you could go to a certain point with your development, with your, your brain function, with your intelligence level. And then that was kind of it. And what they've found, what researchers have found is that the brain is very moldable. It's very expandable. And neuroplasticity is a term that describes how you can change your intelligence level. You can change, you know, your skill sets up into your seventies, eighties and nineties. And so, um, you know, the whole concept of just thinking, you know, well, I hit 62, I think I'm going to just stop living. Um, that's, I think that's an old concept now. So, um, I think just understanding neuroplasticity and, and what you can accomplish at a later age. I mean, shoot, if an old chiropractor can do this, um, I know your, I know your listeners can. So Brian, as we wind down at the end of the show here, Um, I want to reinforce something and and you tell me if this was the way you were thinking, or maybe you, you weren't thinking at that time, but looking back, it made perfect sense. So normally a chiropractor who starts his own business um, may not have the vision that you have. And they would, they would say, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to put money into like a SEP IRA or investments that I don't control. And I'm going to try to build up a big pile of money so that at age 65, I can live on that money for the rest of my life. When you do that as a business owner, though, it's kind of, oh, and and by the way, I also be able to sell my business at that time. And I'll have another pile of money that will help me live, live out my life. Um, But what people don't realize when they're business owners, when they start sucking cash out of the business, what they what they actually end up doing is cause the business not to 
necessarily grow as fast as it could because you don't have capital for the expansion of the business. What you did was kind of a hybrid of the two in my in my uh, estimation is you decided to pull money out of the business to fund all these other businesses that were going to produce cash flow, not 40 years in the future, but right now. And the other thing you did, and I think you're working toward this, is, is you're proving to potential uh, buyers that your chiropractic business can run without you being there full time. And, if, and that also makes it much more valuable because it opens up to a lot more people that could buy it. And it also makes it more valuable because a chiropractor could then have access to other chiropractic businesses or other businesses. So if business owners would stop pulling money out of their business for this concept of retirement in the future, and if they felt like they needed to pull money out of the business, they need to put it in cash flowing assets so that they can benefit it from it right now and not into the future. And my last comment on my little soapbox here is at least, at least when you're pulling it out of your business and putting in something that you oversee, it's something that you control. When that's right. When you pull it out of the business and put it into the stock market, you know, president, uh, the president of the United States or the prime minister of England or the dictator in North Korea can change that particular wealth in a matter of seconds with something they say or do. Well, yeah, I mean that, or, you know, you can have the Enron go upside down or you can have the Exxon Valdez, a ship captain being drunk. I mean, you know, those are things that can turn your retirement upside down. Mm -hmm. So I, I tend to want to help have some, some autonomy and help control. At least I know that if I screw up, it's my screw up. Um, And, you know, if it does well, it's because I, I had control of it. So I agree. It's a great overall philosophy. So we want to thank you for being on the show today. And we, I think this is one of our, one of our more valuable podcasts. So we really appreciate uh, you taking the time out to do that today. Sure. Absolutely. Thanks for inviting me. So as we wrap up, if somebody wanted to reach out to you, whether they had a personal question for you or they wanted to get your book, I'm going to make sure that we certainly have the link to buy that book, which you have on Amazon, I believe. Um, in the show notes of the podcast, but if they wanted to reach out to you, how can they get in touch with you um, or follow you on social media and see more of what yeah, you're up to? Um, probably the easiest way to get a hold of me is Brian, this B R I A N, Brian at wellingscapital.com, wellings, W E L L I N G S, capital.com. That's the easiest way to get a hold of me. Okay, awesome. And I'll make sure that I have the link to get your book as well. And I love being able to have additional resources, especially when they come from that positive mindset that's not accumulation focused, like Bruce was just talking about, but really about the cash flow now and really building that self sustaining life in business and staying in control and building cash flow. So I'm very, we very appreciate your perspective and for sharing just your life story with us today. And we wish you the greatest success in all of your endeavors. And um, as you just continue to grow Thank you again. and build and scale as well. So thanks for being with us today. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for being with us on this exciting journey today. Remember, in closing, success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd, and build a life and business that you love. Do you have an established business and make great income, but feel like you can never get ahead or just plain have financial confusion? 
Get the business owner's three-step roadmap to achieve time and financial freedom without working harder or sacrificing your lifestyle. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash roadmap to get your roadmap and free training. And when you register, you'll also get access to our ultimate money finder cheat sheet that you can use to recover lost cash flow and save on taxes. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and investment advisory services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and registered investment advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated. (laughs) 